If we do our duty, if we meet our responsibilities and our obligations, not just as Democrats, but as American citizens, in our local city, in town, in farms, in our state, and in the country as a whole, then this country is going to be the best generation in the history of mankind. Hi, thanks for listening. This is Achieve Great Things, Episode 9. We want to try something a little bit different this week. We've been bringing you interviews with um, people who we know from the world of communications. This week I wanted to bring a couple of my colleagues on to have a discussion about what we're hearing and thinking about in terms of opportunities and challenges for communicators in this new era. So we uh, hope that you enjoy it um, and obviously keep the feedback coming. Send us an email, podcast at hadaway.com, or or send us a tweet or or Facebook message, whatever works. We're looking forward to feedback, and we really appreciate you listening. Have a great week, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. Um, This is RJ from Hadaway. I'm here with three of my colleagues. We're going to do a special roundtable podcast. I'm here with Steve Pierce, Eric Zimmerman, and Kate Pazolis, all directors here at Hadaway. They have some thoughts and ideas to share. And so we're going to just talk about basically the main two questions we've asked all of our guests. Um, what do we see as the biggest challenges and opportunities for communicators in today's environment, however you interpret that. Um, Steve is has a background in politics and communications, um, and I know he has some, some thoughts that might be along those lines. Thanks for joining, Steve. I'm happy to be here, RJ. Um, Eric has a background in, in journalism and polling and research, so um, he'll contribute some brilliance as well. Yeah, thanks for having me. And Kate also has background in polling and um, data and digital things. Um, that's what we refer, refer to them. Digital here, things. Digital things. Yes. Digital things. So Kate might, a technical term. Kate might provide that perspective. So we have a diversity of perspectives, and we're uh, appreciative of people sharing. Um, so... Steve, do you want to start? Let's start with the challenges. Um, we're obviously in a different era communications-wise now, whether we like it or not, for lots of different reasons. Um, what do you see as the biggest challenges that communicators face? Uh, I'll take a look at it from kind of uh, the, the perspective. Like you said, my background's in politics and campaigns, so I, I always devolve back to uh, that, that perspective. Uh, so I'll look at it from the perspective of what progressives slash Democrats, the big challenge they have, I see. Um, Every day, Donald Trump floods the zone uh, of, you know, our 24-hour news cycle with so many borderline or over-the-borderline insane things uh, that you would have never expected from another another president. And the challenge for progressives or people who oppose Donald Trump is to not get caught playing Mm whack-a-mole with each and every one of those things. You have it. We have a very limited, finite period of time and resources and energy available to us. Uh, And if we're just constantly getting caught trying to 
knock down and call out whatever the crazy thing of the day is, and there's about five or six crazy things every single day, we will have no time left to actually articulate a positive vision for what our alternative vision for what the country is. Um, and if we don't articulate that, I think ultimately we lose if we just get caught uh, talking about how terrible Trump is all day. We have to draw the contrast with Trump, and we have to stand up when something's really and truly like obscene and over the line. Um, but we can't get stuck adjudicating uh, tiny, or what is relatively tiny uh, in the Trump perspective, uh, slights and, and mm -hmm. weirdness. Yeah, and the, I remember like right after the election there was an article or a uh, contributed piece by someone in Italy who was talking about the way that they, mm -hmm. like how to defeat Trump was the Berlusconi model, which was not to try and like take on his personality or his right. personal views, but just like make him a failed president in terms of policy and that's like that doesn't seem to be the road we're or that that's the road you're saying we need to avoid yeah i mean I, don't, I think i don't think we need to avoid that road i think there's i think we need to articulate a positive mm -hmm. vision of what well, progressive vision of the future of the country and we can't get distracted from that i do think we have to take on trump mm -hmm. um but i do i think it's beneficial to do it in the way you're talking about the way they did with Berlusconi, which is essentially to paint him as just another politician who failed to deliver, um, rather than, you know, an outside personality who, outside personality who, um, you know, is, is you know, too crazy or, or whatever, because he is that, and people will see that. What really matters is, um, you know, whether he delivers for them or not. Yep. Do you guys want to add to that or, or, or offer another challenge? Yeah, I think that related to one um, challenge that Steve brought up is the tendency of, I guess, progressives or Democrats in general to assume that if they have the best facts or if they make arguments using the right facts and prove that they are correct and the opposition is wrong, then somehow they'll win either the election or the legislative battle or, or the public conversation. And I think Trump is sort of a historical case study in that not being right, because every day he says things that are empirically untrue um, and it, it never seems to matter and so I think that that there's a temptation for progressives to double down on chasing all of Trump's lies and believing that if they can prove that he's wrong about the facts and figures that the public will turn on him but um, and as Steve mentioned when you do that not only does it seem to not make a difference but you use all the oxygen that you would otherwise spend presenting a vision for for the change that you want to create. Yeah, it was interesting, like, David Ferenthold won the Pulitzer. I was like, yeah, he did a lot of great reporting, and, like, it didn't matter at all. <laughs> Trump still won. But it's like, you know, like, day in and day out, he was reporting on these, like, totally potentially illegal, or at least, if not illegal, like, just stupid things that Trump was doing with his funds, and, like, doesn't matter. So, like, so I guess what else would people need to do instead if, if that stuff doesn't matter to people? One silver lining is that... <laughs> of the Trump era for Democrats is that all of the, I think, moral outrage that it has provoked will give, or should give, Democrats and progressives an opportunity to think about what they really believe and what they think is right and wrong and what specifically it is that they're outraged about. Because I think for a long time, they've avoided making moral or emotional arguments or articulating kind of the, the values behind what they think because they're not comfortable communicating in that way. but. Um, sort of the outrage that they're feeling now is an opportunity to do some soul searching about what, you know, 
what is the moral backbone of, of their cause. Yeah. Connected to that, we also are at a moment where I think everyone is acknowledging that we need to start listening more um, and not just assuming we know and you know what people's values and hopes and, and fears are and trying to relate to those with, as you said, facts and statistics. Um, I think we, we have the opportunity now to start listening to some folks on the other side and hear you know, what their concerns are and what their hopes and vision for the future is because I think that there's more common ground there than we think. And the question is, you know, it, can we can we listen in order to understand how we tap into those? Um, you know, I think we're kind of talking past each other a lot of times um, and assuming that the things that ma- matter to us, like the truth and the facts and the statistics matter to everyone. Um, and obviously that was proven to not be true this November. So I think this provides an opportunity for sort of a reset to figure out, as Eric said, if we can, you know, communicate, learn how to communicate in that more emotional way and really connect with people on that level. Yeah, so let's talk about the opportunities, because I think, like, the challenges are clear, and we've, there's lots of people talking about these challenges, and I guess our, part of our job um, at Hadaway is to help our clients come up with actual solutions for some of this stuff. So. I don't know what, I guess, based on your work or conversations you've had or just what you've been thinking, what do you all see as opportunities um, given those challenges we talked about? Uh, I think that, I think there's a lot of opportunity. I think we're kind of like in the valley right now where we just lost a big election and we can't believe that, you know, we're in the position that we are as a country of this man leading us and and our political uh, system. But I think there's a lot of opportunity that actually flows out of this. I think that um, Republicans, the conservative movement, has actually made a gigantic gamble with Trump, right? Uh, They chose to put all their eggs in the Trump basket. Uh, They didn't try to stop him from taking over their party, taking over their movement. And essentially that's like the, it's, it's like the equivalent of walking into a casino to the roulette wheel and like putting all, like liquidating your entire life savings and putting it on like 27, (laughs) like on one number and like maybe it'll hit. And if it hits, you're going to, you're going to win big, but it's most likely going to fail because you've just elected a man of the presidents of the United States who's incompetent probably maybe has some type of psychological disorder so um so i think that there's going to be as we've seen already even in just the first few months um there have been a lot of opportunities to kind of draw out uh that incompetency draw out how he's out of touch with where most of america really is Mm -hmm. um and that will continue and it's 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 really generated this incredible amount of energy um from the grassroots kind of on up of people becoming more engaged in the process tuning into politics again realizing that they can make a difference that they want to make a difference that they need to stand up and do something and say something and take action and become involved it's kind of uh, diluted that uh, that feeling of uh, like you know not not really caring mm-hmm. um, that a lot of people feel towards have felt towards politics recently and I think it's a huge opportunity for progressives because when more people are involved in the process and more people get out and vote and more people uh, take action that's when we win and so our opportunity it's a challenge and an opportunity is figuring out how do we continue to motivate those people how do we direct their their energy uh, and their passion in a way that's productive, mm-hmm. uh, that's going to drive us towards tangible outcomes. Because I think if we can do that, uh, we can make some really great change in this country and bounce back from this uh, and start, you know, start take the first few steps down that path toward that progressive vision for the future of America that we do have, mm-hmm. or that we are going to articulate <laughs> at some point. 
Eric, what do you th- what do you see as opportunities? Uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's what Steve said about the unprecedented amount of grassroots energy that's out for, out there. You know, people are really longing for looking for some cause to meaningfully engage with it they think is going to make a difference. And so progressives have the opportunity to like connect with a constituency that they've sort of always dreamed of, like the regular American who's finally ready to take action. Um, I mean, the, the, the challenge there is that it's so fragmented and there's mm-hmm. so many different groups moving in different directions. And I'm afraid that if, if sort of organizations don't do something to meaning, meaningfully connect with the people who are ready to take action, that that will only breed more cynicism, right? That, that so many people were fired up and, and ready to go, so to speak, mm-hmm. and there was no one there to, to give them something to tangibly do. Mm-hmm. I think we also have like a messenger problem, right? I mean, if we, if, we, if we expect the people who have been delivering the same messages for decades to now deliver different messages and mobilize people in different ways, just what's, I don't know, how do we get around that? I guess the obvious answer is like, find, find new, fresh faces of progressivism, but I don't know, that's just something I've been thinking about a lot. Yeah, I think the answer to that partly is also, you know, what I would say is is one of the one of the responses to your concern, Eric, which is to focus more on the local level, on the state and local level, which we see um, groups already doing. Groups like Swing Left are are really mobilizing people at the, the local levels and and focusing on the midterm elections and the state elections um, and that level. And I think using that strategy of going sort of from the grassroots and building up messengers from within the communities who are already you know trusted figures within those communities mm-hmm. is the way to go i think um you know some something that hillary really struggled with during the campaign is that a lot of folks just found her they thought she was out of touch they didn't find her relatable um and it's hard when you've been in politics for for forever to, to come across as relatable in an authentic way and so i think um, building up leadership from the grassroots level, starting with that local involvement, um, is really an opportunity for progressives to re-engage in communities in a way that, that the Republicans have been doing, the GOP has been doing for a while now, um, and making the the Democratic Party and progressive politics sort of a part of your daily life and not just something you think about every four years, um, and really harnessing that energy on those small level wins that will keep people engaged um, until you know, until 2020, when we have another shot at the White House, um, is going to be really critical. And we know that some of the most important battles along that road are going to be at the state and local level in terms of redistricting and the midterm elections and all of that. So I think getting people engaged at those levels and not relying on the sort of cult of personality type politics yeah. that I think the Republican Party has placed all their all their money in, as Steve said, um, I think will be a powerful a powerful counter to that. And I think the uh, the challenge and opportunity to that is yeah, totally right. What Kate said about needing to drive people to the grassroots level, to the local level, to get involved in politics, to care about those uh, races, those races, you know, that are 2018 state ledge stuff, because that's where we build the bench. You have to build from the ground up. Uh, the challenge will be articulating how does that, how does getting involved in your state legislative mm-hmm. race, where they're talking about issues that are very, you know, microscopic in, in in terms of scope and like really granular stuff. How does that? How, how do we frame that and like why that's important uh, relative to you know the big things that everyone's that's motivating everyone with Trump and all of his craziness and the, the horrible things that he's doing. How how does getting involved in my city council race 
make a difference in that broader scheme of things. Yeah. And that's what we need to articulate as progressives is telling people how, you know, getting involved at the local level is really a, a key piece to the fight mm-hmm. uh, and helping us, uh, you know, move this broader resistance effort forward and, you know, accomplishing the goals we have as progressives. Yeah, I think I think to that point, one aspect of the opportunity here is for some civic education that yeah. I think people are lacking. Um, you know, I, I've been saying that maybe the one good thing to come out of this presidency, at least, will be that as Trump learns how government works, we will all also learn <laughs> things. Um, so maybe by the end of this, everybody will actually know how a bill becomes a law. But I think, yeah, like you said, educating folks about, you know, why does the election for your local school board matter? You know, who... Um, you know, did you know that there is a library board in some communities mm-hmm. that literally chooses what books will be available in the public library and there's a chance to influence decisions about, you know, are there books on safe sex for people, you know, for LGBT people included in those lists or is, you know, is that not not there? Mm-hmm. So I think articulating, like you said, the ways in which these things really touch your daily lives and, and doing that education work, um, you know, is really is really critical. Yeah, and that's like the way we would think about it. That's sort of the functional message, right? Is like, how did, why does this matter to your life? And then the aspirational challenge is like painting a picture of what, what, is, what does it mean to be progressive mm-hmm. in America, which Republicans have like mastered pretty much. Like you can run for any office on any level and you know as a Republican pretty much what the person stands for. Right, smaller government, more freedom, less governments, <laughs> lower taxes, yeah. strong more national defense, traditional family values. Exactly, like we all know. And like progressive, it's like yeah, we we like government, but like not too much. But we, we like government a lot, but like we don't love government. We but like equality. We like equality. We like justice. Fairness. Yeah. Fairness. That's their big value. Opportunity. Yeah. You know. So anyway, that's. But I know we have we have thoughts about about that. Um, but that's a big task, yep. especially yeah. getting people on the same page. Yeah, yeah. And there's there's that meta message challenge about what progressives actually believe. But then there's also like a tone challenge for Democrats mm-hmm. now, and mm-hmm. that there's how are you going to respond to every daily outrage? Are you going to sort of lambast Trump as like a crook and a liar and a phony, and like start using, you know? sprinkling your press releases with like curse words to show the base how upset you are and that you get it which i think is sort of like the temptation it's easy temptation yep. the direction that a lot of um progressives are going which is like let's demonstrate how pissed off we are um and i sort of wonder if that's only going to breed more cynicism in a way that's not necessarily helpful for for democrats yeah and i think that's a really good point i think it's partially how we got in this place um because democrats and progressives for years, whenever Republicans do anything, we get really out, we're really good at outrage. We're really great at righteous indignation. So we get really indignant about how this is the worst thing ever and, you know, that this is racist and that we, we, we crank it to 11. But if you crank it to 11 every time when there's really time for to, where you need to crank it to 11, and people don't listen to you anymore. Yeah. It's the boy who cried wolf. And so when it really came time to crank it up to 11 and it was Trump, and we were saying, this guy is bad. He's bad for the future of the country. He's anti-democracy. He's all these things, which he was. Yeah. People were like, oh, this is just the same old politics of, you know, he said, he said, she said, right versus left type thing. And so now as we move forward in this new Trump world and he's the president, we need to be really selective of when do we crank it to 11? Yep. Do we need to crank it to 11 when Sean Spicer, you know, makes a really, really stupid misstatement about uh, the Holocaust? 
Holocaust? Maybe, maybe not. Mm-hmm. We need, but we need to make those that calculation strategically, thinking beyond just the moment. And how can I, you know, get the get those retweets or you know get this get this quote in a story or whatever, and be thinking more long term because there is going to be a time when he does things. There are going to be multiple times when he does things that really do threaten America, and there are really you know, go at the core of who we are as a country. And those are the times when you need to be able to crank it to 11 and have a little credibility. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, so one thing that we want to leave people listening to this with, and it's great to have people sending feedback about how this podcast has been helpful for them doing their jobs as communicators. And one thing we try to do is leave people with one insight or idea that people can apply to their jobs. Um, I know we we're as we've been discussing, we've been kind of trying to solve these problems or come up with potential solutions to these problems as over the past, what, four or five months. But what would you guys each leave people with um, to think about as communicators? I think the core like kind of insight that I would ask people to keep in mind as they go out there and, you know, resist and communicate about Trump and politics is it actually comes from uh, Kellyanne Conway, who I thought had kind of the most salient piece of political wisdom uh, out of the last election against all We're odds. We're really living in a dark time. We <laughs> really are. But she had that quote where she talked about, she said, there's a difference between what offends you and what affects you. And I think that was, I think she was, that was really, um, a really smart thing to say that a lot of people kind of laughed at at the time. But I think it's really smart. Uh, and it's something that we should think out, think about Democrats. Trump is doing things every day that offend our sensibilities. And we get outraged about those things. And I can't believe that he's behaving this way. It isn't embarrassing that the president of the United States would behave this way. But the reality is most Americans are not paying attention to what Donald Trump is doing every day. They're not, just not tuned in. And, what we, and so they're not going to be as outraged as we are at his behavior. What we, the case we need to make is how what Donald Trump is doing, how does it affect those people, the people we, who are ultimately our audience, who we need to take action to go vote, to get involved in the process. How is what he's doing affecting their lives? And we can keep our eyes focused on that ball and making the case to the American people that what Donald Trump is doing, how he's behaving, what laws he's passing, what policies he's enacting, how that makes their life demonstrably worse, then we'll be in a good place. But we can't lose the forest for the trees and get stuck talking about things that offend us all the time. We have to be talking about things that affect real voters. Nice. Follow that one up, Eric. Yeah, that's tough. That's a real, real pearl, pearl of wisdom. Um, I think that um, I would suggest to use all the righteous indignation that you feel to um, find an opportunity to step back from the news cycle and think about what you or your organization or the cause that you work for really believes and, and sort of articulate a vision for the world that you're trying to create. Because if there's one thing that, that Trump had going for him as a communicator, it's clarity of vision. Right? And, and I think there's a real temptation to get lost in the daily news cycle and to sort of double down on minutia rather than um, articulating the world that you're trying to create and how, as Steve said, that's going to affect regular Americans. So try to step back from the day-to-day and, and look at the big picture. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I think I'll stay true to my research roots and say that I think that you know one thing that would be great if everybody would think about is, you know, ways to integrate more research into their communications and and really 
think about who their audiences are and what they want them to know, feel, and do after they hear their communications. And and to whatever extent your budget and your capacity allows it to do some research with that audience. And there's lots of tools now that, that make this really, really easy. Social media, you know, you can search for a hashtag or a keyword. And, you know, even if that's the most that you can do, um, just just finding out how people are actually talking about the things that you're talking about and not not just coming up with communications in your office and you know based on what the people who work for you think is is good and resonates with with them but actually getting down into your audiences and finding out what works with them because I think a lot of times progressives especially um, we use this language that doesn't doesn't mean the things that we think it means to the people we're trying to communicate with or you know it's just too abstract or too um too far removed from how it affects people's daily lives as you were saying so i think um you know having that sort of gut check on you know is is what i'm saying conveying what i mean to the people that i want to hear it is just so so important Nice. Well, Kate, Eric, Steve, thank you all for joining and sharing all your wisdom. Um, And people listening, let us know what you think. And if you have questions or reactions or comments, all these folks will be happy to happy to engage further. Thanks, yeah. guys. Thanks. Okay. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to Achieve Great Things. If you like what you hear, subscribe on iTunes and give us a review there. Um, shoot us an email at podcast at hadaway.com if you have thoughts, suggestions, comments. Thank you very much for listening. See you next week. If we do our duty, if we meet our responsibilities and our obligations, not just as Democrats, but as American citizens, in our local city, in town, in farms, in our state, and in the country as a whole, then this country is going to be the best generation in the history of mankind.